there are days when I think that the nonprofit world and the philanthropic world have accidentally created an exit ramp from collective responsibility. And that's not going to get us there. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. This podcast focuses on exemplary leadership, the type of leadership that brings about positive, meaningful change in places that matter. We explore how these leaders make things happen and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. Hi there, it's Leanne. We've got another great interview with another exemplary leader teed up today. Wanted to make sure that you're also aware that I produce some pretty in-depth show notes for every single episode. Lots of links and resources included in that. So if you'll head over to the Rise Leaders website, look at the podcast tab, all the episodes will be listed there and just choose the button that says must read show notes and you'll have access to a lot more links and resources. Also, speaking of resources, I do have a resource page that you might find interesting. Lots of my favorite books and articles and YouTube videos listed there. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Michelle Kinder is my guest today. I love any excuse to talk to Michelle because I learned so much, not only about whatever topic that we're talking about, but I also learned how it's possible to be both incredibly generous and unapologetically direct during a conversation about sensitive subjects. Michelle is well known in the world of education and social emotional learning and writes often about structural inequities. She's a fellow of the Op-Ed Project and has articles featured in Time, Washington Post, Texas Tribune, Dallas Morning News, Mindful Magazine, Huffington Post, and PBS's Next Avenue. I think I need some lessons on writing from you. You're very prolific. (laughs) Thank you. It's therapy. (laughs) Michelle, you're also a nationally recognized speaker on leadership, outsmarting stress, social emotional health, trauma, and parenting. Michelle has received many awards and accolades for her leadership, and this year she's being honored by Juliet Fowler Communities as their 2019 Visionary Woman. All right, so now I'm even more excited and humbled to have you as my guest today. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. Oh, thank you, Leanne. I echo your sentiment of always enjoying our conversations. Well, you have a fascinating background and a bit of an unusual journey, at least for me, to your avocation and vocation. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that, including the fact that you grew up in Guatemala, and I'm assuming there's a connection between that upbringing and the career you chose or the work you're choosing to do. So maybe we can even start there. Absolutely. Yes, I was born in Guatemala and grew up there. My family spent about 30 years down there total. So it's home and very much shaped us. And I've thought a lot about the specifics of how it shaped me and sort of created a path into this type of work. And a couple things come to mind. Uh, One is my parents were missionaries and very service oriented and 
there's a lot of that that didn't stick for me. But what did stick for me was just this sort of deep knowing that we belong to the community and that we're here to serve and grow and learn. And so that was a big one. And then I think another big one is that it gave me such a rich experience literally from birth that everywhere I looked, there were always two or more ways of doing everything as a third culture kid. And so it just created a sense of curiosity and respect for differences. And it makes it almost impossible to sort of drop into that really narrow place where fear drives your openness to difference because of those early experiences. I have never heard you talk about this before. We've always been in other conversations, but knowing that now, it's clear to me that you live in that space. Mm -hmm. I just look at all that you achieved at Momentous Institute. You were very innovative in that space. And I'm wondering, you know, how much of that came from that early experience and your belief that there are at least two ways of, of doing things. Yeah. I mean, I always think my years at Momentus, I was there 20 years and everything that happened there was a giant we. I got a lot of credit, especially when I was in the executive director role that didn't actually belong to me. But I'm very happy to be associated with what we accomplished. And I think that commitment to innovation and to solving for issues rather than sort of just showing up in a way that continues to underscore us and them narratives. You know, I wasn't an us or a them everywhere I went growing up, and I was an us or a them. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like in Guatemala, I looked different, but I felt at home and aligned and connected and congruent. And then I would come to the States to visit, and by looking at me, you would think, oh, whatever you would think. But that actually didn't match my internal reality. So it shaped my allergic reaction to the toxicity that can come from us and them narratives. And also, this might be taking it a little too far, but I'll say it anyway, it also shaped my understanding of what it looks like when someone shows up where there's need and they're looking to do for versus when they show up where there's need and they're looking to do with. And as having missionary parents who really embodied the doing with, and they were very relationship-based and clearly as changed by the people that they worked with as the people were changed, I had that model in my own home, which shaped me incredibly. But then, as you can imagine, anytime your community is people who are there to share something that they believe is true with a capital T, you get a real variation. You get a variation of that grounded doing with, and you get the other extreme of the doing for, the savior complex, the soul collecting, you know, the stuff that was very off-putting to me, even as a super young kid. So all that just kind of, it creates a tapestry of, of how I now see the world. 
You were at Momentous Institute for 20 years. I don't know the story before that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what your draw to that organization was and then why you've decided to veer off that path a little at least for now. So this is actually a good story, I think, especially for your audience of leaders and people interested in leadership and how they show up. Because when I was in grad school at UT Austin and I was moving to Dallas for love, which thankfully turned out to be an excellent bet. (laughs) (laughs) You know how you feel when you finish a graduate degree. I felt like pretty hireable and I spoke Spanish. So I thought I was really hireable. And I had this book that was a two inch thick book of all the nonprofits in Dallas. And I started calling them and it was a rude awakening that nobody wanted to hire me. And they were pretty dismissive. And I, one of the many calls was to what is now Momentous Institute. And I spoke with Delane Kenny, who was the director of psychological services. And she also didn't want to hire me, but she, <laughs> but she was so notably different in tone and tenor on our call. I felt seen, I felt heard, I felt understood, I felt like valued, respected. She just showed up in a completely different way. She made a suggestion. It was just, it imprinted on me something huge. So I went off, worked other places for three years, got my license as a professional counselor. And the second I had that in hand, I came back to her and I said, look, I want to work somewhere where people treat everyone the way you treated me that day. And the rest is history. I started there as a therapist and the school counselor and moved into many different roles over time. And then the last six years served as the executive director. And a year ago, I guess it was June of last year, kind of came to this sort of deep knowing that it was a time that I could leave the organization that would do no harm and started a process with my board chair and just said, you know, I'll stay as long as a year to kind of help with the transition. And it was a really sweet, lovely goodbye and also a switch flipped. And I got really excited about being on their sidelines as their lifelong cheerleader and really excited about what was next for me. It sounds like the business versions of conscious uncoupling. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought of that, but that is perfect. Yes, it was a beautiful conscious uncoupling. (laughs) (laughs) But people are going to be listening. I'm humoring myself here to say people are listening from all over the world and don't know what Momentous Institute is. So describe that a little bit because that in and of itself for me, I didn't know places like that existed. It's such a remarkable spot. It's a hundred year organization next year and focuses on social emotional health with children and families and community. And it has mental health team that works very systemically and in a strength-based way with families where Families are matched with really senior therapists, regardless of their ability to pay and just receive top-notch therapy until the work is done, instead of until insurance says it's done. And 
Then we have a school that's momentous school where three-year-olds through fifth graders have an outstanding traditional education, but it's not so traditional in that social-emotional health is as prioritized as academics. And then we take everything we could possibly learn from that direct work with kids and families and share it out through research and training offerings and just stay in a, a state of continual iteration and learning and growing and just trying to figure out how to best steward that 100-year history. I'm going to make sure to include in the show notes some links to some videos. You know, my favorite one is a little girl talking about settle your glitter. (laughs) Yes, faith. Yeah, faith. (laughs) It's just precious and very profound at the same time. It's just so cute. She's talking about her own social emotional learning and the fact that she's teaching adults how to regulate their emotions as well. So it's a really sweet video and I'll provide a link to that. Michelle, I think that I've heard that you all have some statistics about the families in this three-year to fifth grade that the whole family is involved in the education. It's not just, you know, the kids come to school and then they go back. You're working with that whole family and it has a pretty incredible impact on the success of that child in school. Am I remembering that right? Yes, you are. We're really, I still use the we pronouns. We're really systemic thinkers at Momentus. And so everything is done with the system, not with any one individual. And so the families were heavily involved and seen as an untapped resource, not as like a problem or an annoyance or someone that should be met with once a month in PTA or anything that marginalizes their impact. And the kids are with us three years old through fifth grade. Then they scatter into a bunch of different middle and high schools, some great, some subpar. And the graduation rate, I'm going to get this wrong because all facts have fallen out of my head. So people should go to (laughs) MomentousInstitute.org to get the latest and greatest. But it's over 90% graduation rate. It's 88 or something like that percent persistence into sophomore year of college. 100% of the kids pass their Algebra 1, which is kind of considered like a gateway course to college. And the sum of all the stats, what we're seeing is the kids are outperforming other kids who are impacted by economic challenges, but in some cases, they're also outperforming non-economically disadvantaged kids. And what's really unique about the model is that that's happening because of what is happening between three years old through fifth grade, not because of what's happening all the way to 12th. And so it's a really strong model for investing in those early years. Momentous Institute is located in an area of Dallas, which is Oak Cliff, where I live. Are your students and the families, are you pulling from that general area? The last that I was in touch with the stat, it was like a three to five mile radius. So I'm not entirely sure if that's still the case, but it has a feel of a community school, but sometimes families also needed to move. And because it was such a tight community, many families would continue bringing their children there, even if they had to move. 
That's amazing. And I have to confess that listening to you talk here from about the moment that you were talking about your time in Guatemala and noticing here now that I just keep getting chills and watery eyes, what you guys are providing or what's being done there is just amazing. And it's groundbreaking to hear those kind of statistics, given that you don't work with them past fifth grade. It's such a special place. And that's really just the surface. I would encourage people to check them out. Jess Trudeau is the new executive director and she's doing a phenomenal job. And the whole team is just top, top notch. And the way that the community shows up in partnership to create great outcomes, there's just a lot of heroes, including the Salesmanship Club of Dallas, who started Momentous Institute, and they're still very much involved So it's just a lot of people pulling on the same rope, moving things forward. There's so much to dig into there. And I want to turn us a little bit because you're not there anymore. Like I said, it, it hasn't been a hard right that you took. So you decided to leave. And I want to hear what's next for you, what you're involved in. And I know that wherever you are, you're going to make an impact. And I wonder what's in your focus, what's in your sights right now for the place you're looking to make an impact. I'm going to answer this like girlfriend to girlfriend, knowing that other people are are eavesdropping, but I want to, in case it's helpful to people, I want to be transparent because there's sort of like multiple layers. Like there's the one answer of like, well, here's what I'm doing right now. And and it's all really exciting. I'll, I'll start there. Like Leanne, like you, I'm working with Stegan Leadership Academy and we're launching a social change leadership program that'll be practice-based and a year long that will be geared toward women who are invested in social change. So that's super exciting. Could not be more excited about that and the potential that has both in launching those women, but in also integrating them into the Stegan community, which is so rich um, and the ways that everyone is going to kind of cross-pollinate. And I can just picture really, really stunning things happening there. So that's exciting. I've been working with Rex Miller, who's written several books, and he invited me to co-author his upcoming book that will be out in January or February. We've been working on it, and it's about how what looks like disengagement in teachers is actually trauma and battle fatigue and what we need to be doing for teachers in order for students to be able to thrive. So that's been an amazing learning curve and an amazing project and have been doing some consulting and some coaching and speaking and writing. And so that's the first layer answer. The Uh second layer answer that I would offer, especially given your audience is that it's been a real time of moving away from relying on my earned capacity and grit and just striving, which got me to the point I am. And it's been a really great learning experience. Like I've learned so much and I feel like I've managed to contribute here and there. But this chapter has taught me that this is it's time to shift into a different way of leading and contributing and learning and growing. And so I've been practicing things like surrender and things like, you know, honoring white space and 
sitting with questions and not just striving my way through, but instead working to kind of clear my vessel is how I think about it so that something that is much bigger than me and has nothing to do with me can come through me, which the reason that feels so important, partly it's just developmental curve for me, but also just the sort of tenor of the world right now. I feel like if we're going to have any shot at an even reasonable fair fight um, with some of the darker forces, we cannot rely on what we've always relied on. And it can't be about what we know or what we can do. I think those are important. But there's something about the inner world of the leader and this notion of clearing space so that the highest and best use of you can show up. That's really got my attention. So I don't know how many layers that we're going through here, but (laughs) this feels... (laughs) Well, no, my mind is just firing off all of these questions. One of them is, so how's that been for you? I know that you worked really hard And I'm wondering what it's like now to sit in silence, to surrender, to honor the white space, all of those things that you were just talking about. How have you gotten your body ready for that? How are you doing that? So I would say that the first two months of not being in that executive director role was a hard reset for my nervous system because I had at that point like 10 years of a job where that required almost air traffic control mentality. (laughs) And so then to kind of drop into a space where that wasn't asked of me, but my nervous system had decided that was normal. And so initially I would kind of like find myself creating that type of energy where it didn't need to be. And so I just got more aware of that, more curious. And I still feel like just enormous forces in our culture that pull away from us being our most grounded, most wise, sensitive selves. So I just have built practices that I do every single day in hopes of kind of starting my day with the clearest possible headspace, heart space, vessel. And even with that, and I'm really, really religious about it, even with that, it feels like a minute to minute challenge to not get pulled into the seduction of busyness, of knowing, of ego, you know, all of those forces that can trick us into thinking we're making a difference, but it can just be a spin. And there's a whole sense of building up a different kind of tolerance. So your body was used to being in high gear and you said you would even create, I don't know if there were fires, you would create reasons to be busy. And I talk to people about this all the time when I'm doing workshops. In fact, I was with a group of principals just last week, and this is exactly what we were talking about. And we were talking about things like resetting your emotional system, your neurobiology. Yes. And and many of them would admit if there's not something brewing, it's like I go to sleep. So we're either completely on or completely off. I sit down, I fall asleep. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know any other way to be. So building up a tolerance for that lack of activity, which feels ironic that we would need to build up a tolerance for that. I think the the norms have just gone so extreme that what you're saying makes total sense to me. Can this reset be done on the job? Or do you think it's needed that someone takes a sabbatical or actually changes their job in order to get this reset that you're experiencing right now? I think it can definitely be done on the job. Mine started three years ago on the job. This was like a pretty dramatic shift because there was space for it. But my shift from unconscious about how my pace was impacting the team and my own health to conscious about that and then to behavioral change, all of that for me started three years ago. So it can definitely be done on the job. And it's critical that the leaders be thinking about that work because like we have a nervous system, but our organization has a nervous system that's made up of our collective nervous systems. And so when I was in a less conscious place and even more driven by just execution and vast and just the ripple. So maybe that was a hard, not ideal, but friendly-ish place for my nervous system to be as the leader. Like maybe that was not horrible for me just because of my makeup, but maybe for other people on the team, it was completely dysregulating. And then that was crowding out their capacity to show up as their strongest, best selves. And that starts to muddy outcomes and all kinds of stuff. So I think it's a major trap for people to think, I can't do this work. I'm too busy. That's exactly the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to take us back to the first level. And then this was the second level, what you're doing now. So the first layer had to do with writing the book, uh, doing the work at Stegen, and now you're in this surrender. Is there another layer? The two capture it, but what I okay. will say like one of the things that I've become aware of in this last seven months, really a year or more since I kind of rang the bell is when you create space and your intent is to clear the vessel, there's a layer that is pretty easy to access. And it kind of goes through and you're like, whoa, I feel really different how I'm showing up because I spent time meditating or I spent time running or whatever it is that ends up working for you. There's that layer. The more committed you get to the practices, then you start kind of getting into layers that don't flush through so easily. They take some work, like actually sitting with feelings or unresolved grief or this or that or the other. And the deeper you go, then you're like, I was thinking yesterday, I'm like, oh my God, this particular issue feels like I need a jackhammer to clear my vessel. Like you have to actually loosen up some stuff that is so rigid that in order to kind of help it move through you, all that to say it's hard work. I don't mean to ever come across as like glib that, hey, just do it. <laughs> you know, but I can already see there's a direct correlation between the commitment to doing this work and being trying to become more conscious, more aware, clearer vessel and my capacity for 
stronger impact with less effort is directly correlated. Boy, if you could bottle that and sell it, I think you (laughs) could be a millionaire. (laughs) And again, it's the opposite of what we think it is. It's not more efforting and willpower. It's more listening and letting things happen. Yes, it's a total reframe. I'm looking through my notes here and I have in bold letters when we were talking about this shift in career that you've made, one of the things that you said is that you're wanting to work on the upstream of the upstream (laughs) in this next chapter. What does that mean? I'm still figuring out what it means and grappling with it, but I'll tell you what I'm thinking about and what I think it means. So in the mental health world and the education world, there's tons of focus on upstream and Momentus has done a tremendous job of following that ball and making massive change for people. They also, and this includes me, so this isn't a divergence from the work of Momentus. They're on this, they're doing this work as well, but I'll speak about myself. Anytime you start looking at social emotional health of children and families and the spaces that need to be there in order for children to develop into their healthiest, strongest, most grounded selves, you have to start looking at the community and are the adults in the community and is the community capable of creating these spaces where children can thrive. And when you start looking at that, you begin to see all of the ways our history has set certain communities up for that type of easy access to create those spaces for children to thrive and have completely marginalized or actively sought to harm other groups of people. And so that has just put me on a journey to better understand structural inequity and the work of dismantling racism and all of the ways that my personal long straw as a white woman with means is connected to the short straw of other people having nothing to do with their capacity, their talent, their anything. It just has to do with the historical ways we set certain groups up and we compromised other groups. So to me, that work is the upstream of the upstream. If we don't go toward that, we're going to continue solving for issues that shouldn't be issues in the first place. So what do you mean by your long straw as a white woman with means is connected to someone else's short straw? What does that mean? What I think it means to me, again, full transparency, I'm in grapple mode with this stuff and I can tell I'm like a little baby who doesn't know anything. But what I think it means is shifting from, oh, I'm so blessed. Everyone isn't this blessed. What can I do to help? To looking eyes wide open at the historical decisions that were made to make my life easy slide into affluence and a bolted door for someone else who has a different skin color and is in a different zip code. So that's what I mean. It isn't just a, it's the opposite of a bootstrap mentality. It's like, I didn't do anything to get where I am. 
anything is not the right word. And I'm sure that would be very upsetting to lots of people. Of course I've done (laughs) some things, but it's that whole, like, don't celebrate a home run. If you were born on third base, it was like, I was born on third base and I get that. And I want to participate in creating a community, a city and a world where there's not such a stark difference on who's born on first, second or third base based on race and other factors like that. So you're working with this group of women through Stegen that are in the social change area, or they're doing things that will make a positive impact in social change areas. You're writing a book. What is another, and I know you're figuring this out and I don't want to mean to put you on the spot, but what are other ways that you're thinking about bringing communities together or educating people? What's included in your toolkit or your bag of tricks? When I think about kind of the most authentic thing that I feel like I have to share, regardless of who's on the other side of of it or in partnership with me around it, is the inside out work of a leader. What are the ways that we can kind of change our relationship with things like fear and stress and ego and show up in a more self-regulated way and mutually regulated way. I think that harkens back to my family therapy years and also just the whole path. That is a lever that it certainly shows up in the book and in the work with teachers. It certainly shows up in the space around working deeply with women leaders, but it actually is a universal lever that can change someone's wattage in the world. So like if I'm... (laughs) I'm like a 30 watt bulb because I'm feeling under-resourced and compromised and relying wholeheartedly on strive, but I have the capacity to be a hundred watt bulb or a thousand watt bulb. Like I think that's a space I can authentically plug into and want to plug into um, helping people with their inner world so that they can show up differently externally personally, I'm most interested in helping people do that, who then are going to take that extra capacity and create change in the world that is socially minded. But what I'm finding as I talk to people and work with people is the principles are universal. And so regardless of, you know, seat on the bus or industry or sector or reasons for wanting to get a little more of the inside out work done so that you can be a more effective leader, it seems to resonate. And what role do you see business playing in all of this? A huge role. I think if we sort of create lanes of who's responsible for social change and social impact and either use the nonprofit world or the social impact world as an exit ramp from collective responsibility we will be in this exact same space 30 years from now, 60 years, 100 years. It's going to be when we start looking at, first of all, zeroing in on true solutions and then looking at how collectively we can move that forward. And that includes policy decisions, the corporate world, nonprofit world, social impact, all of those different players But there are days, there are darker days for sure, but there are days when I think that the nonprofit world and the philanthropic world have accidentally created 
an exit ramp from collective responsibility. And that's not going to get us there. What does that mean that an exit ramp has been created? What are they exiting? Who's exiting and what are they exiting from and to? What's the dynamic that's happening there? The way that it's bubbling up for me is that if the corporate world or the policy world, if those groups can feel like X, Y, or Z is not my problem because the nonprofit and philanthropic space will take care of it, then they check themselves out of that responsibility and they just wield too much power to check out. So, you know, another place it shows up is when corporations are lauded for their generosity and that pulls focus away from how they give their money pulls focus away from how they make their money. And sometimes how they make their money is really hurting people. And so I think we just have to kind of have that 360 degree view of integrity and collective responsibility. And then all the different players can plug in and we'll move away from this current reality, which you have all the same social ills and you might move the needle a degree or two here and a degree or two there, but we're not in a mindset of truly shifting the landscape the way it's currently set up. All sorts of terms come up for me. Shifting the burden is one where the corporations can just shift the burden to a nonprofit and then kind of punt or outsource that and see it as different from the business. And it sounds like what you're promoting or proposing is that it is the business. That's well said. We're coming up probably at a time to close. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about how we can get in touch with you. And actually, the reason that I wanted to have you on the show is because I see you as a high impact leader, someone who's really doing a lot to elevate your part of the world and that you're making your part of the world bigger and your voice is getting bigger. I want to help you do that. And what do you want to say to people as far as what we can be doing individually? The quickest, shortest answer is regulate your own nervous system. And in whatever way that needs to happen, that's the starting point. But there are some other layers that I think you're making me think of as we talk. And one of them is just, can we grapple together? Can we find space to grapple together in a way that doesn't feel like it closes space or is threatening? And can we do it in a way that honors what came before us and is vision oriented? So like it's grounded in the contextual factors of our history and it's uh, driven by vision instead of by fear or scarcity. I just got chills again. (laughs) That was beautiful. And Michelle, how do we get in touch with you if people want you? So what is it that you're doing? You, You speak now, do you workshops? What are ways that people might be able to engage you and your wisdom? 
michellekinder.com is an easy place to find me and there's contact information on there. I love to hear from people and love to speak and do workshop. I do keynotes up to six hour workshops. So and anything in between. So I really enjoy working with people to figure out what is the right thing that's going to move their goals and their community forward. So I'm flexible on what that ends up looking like. And I would love it if people check out the articles on the website and um, always looking for more opportunities to write because that is therapy for me. And it's the space where my growth edge and my courage edge kind of show up together. So always looking for that and just pleased to have people look at that website, but also MomentousInstitute.org and of course, uh, Stegen as well. So Momentus and Stegen both have shaped me tremendously and are doing lots of good in the world. I've seen you uh, maybe three times in front of pretty large audiences, and I will attest that Michelle Kinder is a beautiful speaker, very accessible And you will have fun if Michelle speaks to your group. Thank you, Leanne. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for being with me today and look forward to our paths continuing to cross. Same here. If you like what you heard today and the direction this podcast is pointed, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on iTunes leave us a comment and a five-star rating. You can also check out the Rise Leaders website at www.rise-leaders.com to find the resources I pull from in my coaching and consulting work and that I find central to transformative leadership. If you're committed to leading with a clear vision and from core values and taking your team to the next level, then get in touch. You can reach me, Leanne Mallory, from my website. I'd be honored to hear from you. I appreciate you tuning in today and especially for being the type of person interested in learning more about how you can elevate your part of the world. Take good care. Mm-hmm.